0: Chapter 8 of Tea and Tea Drinking This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Eduardo Tea and Tea Drinking by Alfred Reed Chapter 8 Tea as a source of revenue Tea heavily taxed, how it was adulterated in the good old times. Efforts to Secure a Reduction in the Duty Why Crime and Ignorance Prevail Mr. Disraeli's Proposal to Reduce the Duty on Tea, Opposed by Mr. Gladstone Mr. Gladstone's Legislation The Chancellor of the Exchequer Memorialized to Reduce the Duty on Indian Tea The Annual Expenditure on Tea Professor Leone Levy's Estimate of its Consumption by the Working Classes Tea had not been in use many years before the government discovered in it a valuable means of replenishing the national exchequer. Accordingly, they passed a law in 1660 imposing a duty of eight pence per gallon on all tea made and sold in coffee houses, which were visited twice daily by officers. It would occupy too much space to describe subsequent legislation, but the subject appears, at times, to have been almost as perplexing as the liquor traffic to the various governments. The tea duties have, however, always been excessively heavy, and it is therefore not surprising that a great deal of smuggling was carried on in the good old times, and that deceptions were practiced to a very large extent by unscrupulous tea dealers. Parliament at last interfered. In the reign of George II, an act of Parliament recites that several ill-disposed persons do frequently fabricate, die, or manufacture very great quantities of slow leaves, licorice leaves, and the leaves of tea that have before been used, or the leaves of other trees, shrubs, or plants, in imitation of tea, and do likewise mix, color, stain, and dye such leaves with terra haponica, sugar, molasses, clay, logwood, and with other ingredients, and do sell and vend the same as real tea, to the prejudice of the health of his majesty's subjects, the diminution of his revenue, and to the ruin of the fair trader. The act then declares that the dealer in and seller of such sophisticated teas shall forfeit the sum of ten pounds for every pound weight. In a report of the Committee of the House of Commons in 1783, it is stated that the quantity of fictitious tea annually manufactured from slow licorice and ash tree leaves in different parts of england to be mixed with genuine teas is computed at four millions of pounds and that at a time when the whole quantity of genuine tea sold by the east india company did not exceed more than six millions of pounds annually the act does not seem however to have done much to check the evil for in the year 1828 the existence of several tea manufactories was disclosed The penalties for defrauding the revenue amounting in one case to 840 pounds. It is impossible to estimate the amount of smuggled tea consumed, but the official accounts indicate a large consumption. It appears that from 1710 to 1810, not fewer than 750,219,016 pounds of tea were sold at the East India Company's sales, the value of which was 129 million, £804,595. The duty alone amounted to £104,856,858. In 1828, the revenue amounted to £3,302,252. The exclusive right of trading in tea, so long enjoyed by the East India Company, terminated on the 22nd of April, 1834, when an alteration was made in the method of collecting the dues. Under the old system, a tax was levied on the value of the tea, but under the new, it was levied upon the weight and quality, the duties ranging from one shilling six pence on bohea and three shilling on pico and other kinds. The transfer did not, however, secure the approval of the tea dealers, who continued to petition Parliament for a reduction of the duty, a society was formed at liverpool with this object in view and in eighteen forty six its officers published a letter addressed to sir robert peel contending that as tea was an object of the first importance to the laboring classes the duty on it should be such in amount and principle as to induce the greatest consumption the memorialist argued that the duties have been imposed without any reference to the encouragement of its consumption that the quantity required by the public for their wants and comforts has never entered into the consideration of the legislature, that all they have looked to has been to get a certain amount of revenue from tea, treating it, important as it is to the people's sustenance and well-being, as a subject unworthy of consideration, per se, and for their benefit, that it has been taxed from time to time, heavier and heavier as its consumption increased, so that, Looking at the changes which have taken place in these duties, it would appear as if their object had been to check, if not altogether destroy, the use of tea amongst us, as though it were a poisonous or noxious thing, a species of opium, which, on moral and political grounds, ought to be prohibited. The memorialist found, by a return to an order of the House of Commons, dated the 11th of February, 1845, That in 1784 the tax was twelve and a half per cent. In 1795 it was raised to twenty per cent. In 1797 to twenty per cent under two shillings six pence per pound and thirty per cent at and above that price. In 1798 to twenty and thirty five per cent respectively. In 1800 to twenty and forty per cent. In 1801 to twenty and fifty per cent. In 1803 to 65 and 95 percent, in 1806 to 96 percent on all prices, and in 1819 to 96 percent under two shilling per pound, and 100 percent at and above that price, continuing to the termination of the company's charter. In 1834, the trade being thrown open, the duty was attempted to be levied according to a scale which was supposed to mark quality, being one shilling six pence per pound on the lowest tea two shilling tuppence per pound on the middle, and three shilling per pound on the finest kinds. This scale was also constructed on the principle of taxing as near as may be the article with an average duty of 100%, but was abandoned in 1836, and succeeded by a uniform duty of two shilling one pence per pound, until 1840, when the additional five percent imposed on all customs duties brought it up to two shilling, two and one-fourth pence, per pound. In the following year, 1846, a town's meeting was held at Liverpool for the purpose of taking into consideration the measures which should be adopted to procure as speedily as possible a material reduction of the present duty on tea. A resolution was passed declaring the duty of two shilling tuppence exorbitant, impolitic, and oppressive. In supporting a resolution that a reduction of duty would remove inducements to intemperance and thereby diminish crime, an employer of labor felt assured that if the legislator would cheapen tea, coffee, sugar, and soap, it would give the means of prolonging lives instead of shortening them, and keep a man at his own fireside instead of his going to the tavern, with the ten thousand evils in its train. The speaker, however, caused considerable amusement when he expressed the opinion that if the Irish population could get tea at a cheap rate, they would, to a considerable extent, abandon whiskey. Put a cup of tea and a glass of whiskey side by side, we venture to say that ninety-nine out of every hundred Irishmen would prefer the whiskey. An Irishman, says Dr. Pope, was requested by a lady to do some work for her, which he performed to her complete satisfaction. Pat, she said, I'll treat you. Heaven bless your honour, ma'am, says Pat, what would you prefer, a pint of porter or a tumbler of grog? Well, ma'am, says Pat, I don't wish to be troublesome, but I'll take the one whilst you're making the other. This is, we fear, a type of the average Irishman whose love of whisky is the greatest blot upon his character. Notwithstanding the great outcries against the government duty, the consumption of tea steadily increased and in 1844 the duty alone amounted to 4,524,193 pounds. There were, it must be admitted, some inequalities in the system of taxation. The question attracted the notice of Mr. Leitch Ritchie, then editor of Chamber's Journal, who suggested that the moral reform and social improvement for which the present age is remarkable have had their basis in, T. But if Great Britain is so large a consumer of tea. Why, he asked, do crime and ignorance still prevail amongst the body of the people? Because, he answers, the poorer classes still drink bad tea, imitation tea, or no tea at all. The tea that is now in bond at ten pence pays a duty of two shillings and a penny, while the tea that is sold in bond at several shillings pays no more. Thus the poor are charged at least three times more according to value than the rich. An illustration of this anomaly was given by a speaker at a second meeting held at Liverpool in eighteen forty eight for the purpose of securing a reduction in the duties. Tea, says the speaker, must be considered in a twofold light, not merely as an article of luxury to some, but as an article of necessity to all classes of Her Majesty's subjects. But do all classes procure this necessity on equal terms no for though it is in general use with the peer as well as the peasant we yet find the same duties levied on teas of the lowest as on teas of the highest description it was urged by those who defended the policy of the government that tea was a stimulant and that therefore it was injurious we admit the fact said the reverend dr hume but we strenuously deny the inference A stimulant is not necessarily injurious, though the more violent always are. Heat is a stimulant, and so is water in particular circumstances. Food is a stimulant. The light of heaven is a stimulant, whether in animal or in vegetable nature, and so is the beaming countenance and kindling heart of a sympathetic friend. Neither meetings nor memorials, however, seem to have any influence with the government but in 1852 Mr. Disraeli proposed to reduce the duty on tea to one shilling, ten pence, and ultimately to one shilling, the reduction to be spread over six years. This reduction, with other reductions of the dues on shipping and the malt tax, would have involved a loss of more than three million pounds, to supply which, he proposed, among other things, to impose the income tax on industrial incomes over one hundred pounds. His proposals were, however strongly opposed by mr gladstone and rejected by a large majority when however mr gladstone returned to power in 1853 he proposed the very same reductions which he had when out of office rejected he proposed to reduce the duty to 1 shilling 10 pence during the following year and by threepence a year until the limit of 1 shilling was reached including reduction of other taxes the loss to the revenue would have amounted to five million three hundred fifteen thousand pounds, which he proposed to meet by renewing the income tax for seven years, extending the stamp duties, and increasing the duty on spirits. But owing to the Crimean War, the proposed reduction was not effected. The expenses of this war were so heavy, amounting to seventy million pounds, that the duty on tea was increased threepence a pound. When the war was over, Mr. Gladstone desired that the added duties on tea, sugar, and other necessaries of life should be taken off. But on the 6th of March, 1857, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, Sir George Lewis, announced a modification of the budget resolution so far as the tea duties were concerned, and proposed that the amount of the tax, which he had arranged for three years, should be applicable for one year only. Mr. Gladstone moved an amendment to the effect that after April 5, 1857, the duty should be one shilling threepence, and after the 5th of April, 1858, one shilling. The amendment was negatived by 187 to 125, and the Chancellor of the Exchequer's resolution fixing the duty at one shilling five pence was carried. In 1865, the duty was reduced to six pence under Mr. Gladstone's government, and at this figure it remains. But the attention of the Chancellor of the Exchequer has recently been called to the disadvantage under which the Indian tea industry is placed by the imposition of the English customs duty of sixpence per pound on all tea imports, and the object of the memorialist was to induce him to consider the expediency of abolishing or modifying this duty when framing his financial budget. It was pointed out that the Indian tea industry is greatly in want of such relief, as evidenced by recent Calcutta reports showing the market value of the shares of the joint-stock tea companies. Out of a total of 116 companies, 46 only gave any dividend on the crop of 1882, and of these 46, only 20 paid over 5%. Of the 70 which gave no dividend, not a few have paid nothing for several years, and many are struggling on under the incubus of borrowed capital with the hope of improvement in the markets, the cause of this depression being directly traceable to the heavy fall in prices during the last few years. The opinion was expressed that if the trade could be relieved of the present heavy tax of from 50 to 100% on the value, it might be fairly assumed that a reduction of, say, fruppence per pound to the consumer would lead to a large increase in the consumption, and leave a return of the remaining tuppence per pound more to the producer which would in many cases prove a working profit to gardens now being carried on at a loss. Reference was also made to the argument, of which doubtless the Chancellor of the Exchequer is aware, that inasmuch as the average value of Indian teas is higher than that of China teas, the present duty weighs more heavily on the latter, and consequently that its abolition would deprive the Indian importer of a certain amount of protection. But at the same time, The opinion was expressed that a general reduction of prices to the consumer all round would induce on the part of the public a more general preference for the superior quality of the Indian produce, and that the increased demand for it thereby engendered would more than counterbalance any loss of protection which might be sustained. As will be seen from the following table of the duties, the consumers of tea contribute very largely to the revenue of the country. 1874. Three million two hundred forty eight thousand four hundred forty six pounds eighteen seventy five three million five hundred sixty eight thousand six hundred thirty four pounds eighteen seventy six three million seven hundred six thousand eight hundred thirty one pounds eighteen seventy seven three million seven hundred twenty three thousand one hundred forty seven pounds eighteen seventy eight four million two thousand two hundred eleven pounds eighteen seventy nine four million one hundred sixty two thousand two hundred twenty one pounds eighteen eighty three million six hundred ninety eight thousand three hundred thirty eight pounds eighteen eighty one three million eight hundred sixty five thousand seven hundred twenty pounds eighteen eighty two three million nine hundred seventy four thousand four hundred eighty one pounds eighteen eighty three four million two hundred thirty thousand 341 pounds, thirty-eight million one hundred eighty-three hundred seventy-six pounds. The annual expenditure on tea amounts to about 11 million pounds. Large as this amount appears, it sinks into insignificance when compared with the expenditure upon intoxicating drinks. During the last year, it amounted to no less than 125,477,275 pounds. There are few who would regret to see this formidable amount reduced to a fourth of its present dimensions, and no one surely will deny that if everybody drank tea, instead of alcoholic drinks, a great reform in the habits of the people would take place. Drunkenness, and its attendant evil, pauperism, would cease. Plenty would take the place of poverty, joy for sadness, health for sickness, and happiness would reign throughout the land. Reference has already been made to the fact that England stands next to China as the greatest tea-drinking nation, and it appears that the working classes consumed the largest proportion of tea imported. Professor Leoni Levy compiled in 1873 an elaborate estimate of the amount of taxation falling on the working classes of the United Kingdom, and in his report he shows that from consumption of tea alone they contributed £2,200,000 to the revenue as against 900,000 pounds by the middle and upper classes. At the present time, however, the working classes contribute over 3 million pounds as their proportion of the duty upon tea. A clearer light is thrown upon their contributions to the National Exchequer by the following table showing the proportion for every pound of taxes paid from each item. As falling on the working classes, spirits, 7 shilling, 5 pence, malt, 3 shilling, Tobacco. 3 shilling. Local taxes in houses. 2 shilling. 9 pence. Tea. 1 shilling. 5 pence. Sugar. 1 shilling. Licenses. 9 pence. Other taxes. 8 pence. Total. 1 pound. As falling on the middle and upper classes. Local taxes. Land. Houses. Etc. 7 shillings. Stamps. 3 shillings, threepence. Income tax, 3 shillings. Spirits, 1 shilling, 10 pence. Malt, 9 pence. Tobacco, 9 pence. Sugar and tea, 1 shilling. Land in houses, 10 pence. Wine, 7 pence. Other taxes, 1 shilling. Total, 1 pound. The professor classes tea as a necessary, but confesses that it is difficult to define whether certain articles in daily use are necessaries or luxuries. Many articles, he points out, such as white bread, tea, sugar, which not long ago were considered luxuries, are now, with the improved condition of the people, regarded as absolute necessaries. He refers, in particular, to the effect of indirect taxes in greatly enhancing the cost of the taxed article to the consumer. The wholesale import price of tea, for example, may be one shilling a pound, and upon this there is a sixpence duty. But immediately as it passes from the importer to the dealer, and from the dealer to the retailer, the whole price, duty paid, is charged first with ten, and then with thirty percent, to meet expenses and profits of trade, whereby the retail price is increased probably from two shilling to three shilling, sixpence or four shillings per pound. This trading, therefore, constitutes so much extra tax, And it is a tax which the working classes pay to the middle and higher classes through whose hands such articles pass. Whether we shall ever have a free breakfast table, it is impossible to say. But if the tax on tea were abolished, it is obvious that it would be necessary to impose some other tax, probably even more objectionable. End of chapter eight. Recording by Eduardo. End of Tea and Tea Drinking by Alfred Reed.